Welcome to our new monthly podcast series on our channel Inside Impact Investing on Microeconomics and Sustainability. We want to share our discussions on relevant political and economic developments in the world with our community. We look at these developments through what we call triados lens. Do they help or do they hinder the transformation to a sustainable and inclusive world? We also want to provoke your thoughts and spark a discussion. In doing this, we try to separate our discussion a little in different parts. I'm Hans Stegeman, Chief Investment Strategist of Triodos Investment Management. And with me are my colleagues Maritza and Yuri, also Investment Strategist. And what we do is talk about what happened this month in general in economics, in the world economy, and in sustainability. And if we look back at last month, a lot happened. We had soaring energy prices, high inflation, central banks having different policies, not to forget Russia, Ukraine. And when I look at all of that, you can have two thoughts. On the one hand, you can think it's all a mess. It will go down the drain and it will be, financial markets will be a complete mess, huh? like we saw in January. And But maybe in the end, and that's what I think, central banks will save everything and Putin is only playing a political game and it will all continue. Maritza, what do you think? Well, Hans, I'm a bit concerned because I think that the tensions that have risen between Russia and the Ukraine could make the energy transition a bumpy ride. Because if we look at the role of Russia in the, the world economy as a provider of gas, for example, in the case of the EU, these countries import about 40% of their gas from Russia. That will make the transition more difficult. If we look also at the consumption of certain commodities like platinum, titanium, also this will have an impact on the supply chains for the air industry, for the auto industry, and this will affect inflation. So I'm a bit concerned about if things roll out, not as you expect, but if, let's say, tensions rise and they take time to be resolved, this will have implications for a lot of the sustainability issues that we back. Yeah, but you, you can also argue completely the difference that you say, finally, energy prices go up for fossil fuels. And finally, this will help renewable energy projects to become profitable. Okay, it's painful in the beginning, but yeah, that's a pain we have to take. Well, I think it's not that easy. I'm already reading in the news that, for example, the U.S. is thinking on reducing taxes on energy consumption because they're sensitive to the impact that that will have on the budgets of uh, mm -hmm. households and firms. So I think the political decisions behind this and how they will reduce the impact for the different populations in different countries is, is an issue. Yeah, I agree. And that's what happens with politics. They don't get the economic picture, but as we, we are economists. So economists think pricing in externalities, so making fossil fuels more expensive, is the best and most efficient way to get an energy transition. That we have stupid politicians who don't understand it. That's the temporary problem, I would say. So can we not say Putin is playing a game for his own influence and to regain also influence in Eastern Europe, etc. But in the end, nothing will happen. Or is this too naive? Well, I think that the thing is that the political interests have gone quite far. And right now it's difficult to pull back because there's a lot of sunk costs. Mm -hmm. So I think in, in the very near term, the NATO and the Western allies want to make a statement so that this doesn't prolong and that 
Russia takes a place in the global economy that is more favorable for a more peaceful transition, let's say. Okay. Let's go to another part of the discussion. Uh, this is, of course, inflation. It's mm -hmm. also linked to energy prices, but it's also a general topic related to the pandemic. And Yuri, we, we had quite some turmoil on financial markets because of inflation. Yeah, that's true. And that was mostly because markets now anticipate that central banks will really intervene and they will really change their policies and become more aggressive. Well, coming back to your statement, Hans, if central banks again come to the rescue and they save the financial markets, I don't know if that will be such a favorable development for the equality in the world, of course, because what we have seen so far is that central banks over the last decade have really pushed up financial asset prices and as a result, inequality has increased. And in your assumption, central banks will step in again and this will only uh, broaden the inequality. Agree, but the alternative, and that's what markets expect, so relatively aggressive financial central banks might also pose problems to debt sustainability and might also pose problems to financial stability, to asset prices, and also hurt, and that's the other part of the coin, hurt the wealthy, so why would they do it? No, that's definitely true. You showed me a graph this week of um, central bank expectations from the markets from the previous 30 years. And in that graph, you could see that indeed markets have always overreacted and they've always expected more rate hikes than have actually materialized. If you look at this situation, you could argue that this time is different because of course this time inflation is surging. And if you look at the debt levels of governments, of course, that's another issue, but then There's the additional question, what will governments actually do with this debt? So will they invest in a sustainable transition? Will they redivide the, the income from the poor to the wealthy or the other way around, actually? <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> well, yeah. That's what they are doing at the moment. So that, that <laughs> <laughs> they do it very efficiently. Yeah. 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 Um, I was thinking when with your remark, is this time different? I think most people know it, especially economists. Is this time different was the title of a book by Carmen Reinhardt and Rogoff. And Carmen Reinhardt is now the boss of the World Bank. And she proposed this week that the Fed should hike very aggressively also in the interest of emerging markets. And she, was, she had a story about emerging market debt. And that's my question to Maritza, because we see if the Fed hikes and if exchange rates go on, this always has an effect on the emerging markets. Is this time different is my question. Well, no, actually we've seen that in anticipation to uh, Fed tightening, Central banks in emerging markets, at least in the major central banks, they have already started the rate hike cycle in 2021. So that has started. And the reason is that obviously some emerging market countries have weaker fundamentals, better off than in 2013 though, but they need access to capital markets. And so uh, interest rates is part of their strategy to gain access. So that it has been already happening The question is if that is enough. Markets expect still uh, rate hikes from central banks in emerging markets this year. And if inflation continues to rise, uh, we will probably see more. Okay, let's see. I started with my hypothesis that everything would, uh, in the end, not change that much. But I think mm -hmm. you don't agree with me. And probably we see rate hikes. We, uh, I think we also think that. But will it be to the same extent as markets expect? 
No, I don't think so. So in that respect, I think you're right. I think we will see a change in central bank policy, but it will be very moderate. So for instance, for the European Central Bank, we only expect one 10 basis point rate hike in 2022. So that's uh, very uh, moderate. And maybe to really finish this part on the energy transition, my hypothesis was that it can also be good news to have high energy prices, but I think you don't agree with me, Maritza. No, Hans, because I think that given the composition of commodity baskets and the high component of food, I think that for inequality, it will be a blow. So it's what Keynes already said, in the long run, we're all dead. So my idea, in the long run, it will be all be all right. You say, we'll never get there. Well, for some people, it will be a difficult uh, journey. The second part we get now is... Some other people thought it would be a nice idea that I will tell my frustrations. Probably I have another frustrations. People, I'm not aware of it. So my frustration of this month, and that's a very clear frustration, is about the what we call the taxonomy or the European Green Spreadsheet, where we have all the rules from what we classify as sustainable and what's not sustainable. And the discussion, which was already ongoing for quite some time, resulted this month in the conclusion that uh, nuclear power and uh, gasoline are also sustainable. And I think it's completely bullshit. It's not, and I have to be very clear, it's not that I'm against nuclear power as a source of energy at the moment for current installed capacity. I'm also not against natural gas as a bridge towards sustainability because we need it. But investing in it is not sustainable. And what they want to do with the label is make clear what is sustainable and what is not sustainable. And the biggest threat of all of this is that we have a financial industry doing exactly the same, but label it sustainably, and that will not help any transition. So that's my frustration. And uh, one last word on it. This were only the first two worksheets of that spreadsheet. So this was about climate adaptation and mitigation. We get biodiversity, we get circular economy, we get other parts, water. And this was the easy part. It was supposed to be the easy part, the scientific part on what you can do on sustainability. And now the more difficult parts will come in. And then I'm really afraid that this will only be a political project and not helping any sustainability transition. Mm. And how definite is this decision for now? Because I know that Triodos, amongst some other financial institutions, has sent a letter to say that they don't agree. And can they still change this? Or how does it uh, work? It's very hard. Countries like Austria and Luxembourg have said that they will go to court to fight this uh, discussion, but it will be very hard to change it because this, this is a political process. France wants nuclear, Eastern Europe wants gasoline, then you talk to each other and then you're done. That's how politics work. That's why I never want to go into politics. Okay, that's my frustration. And next time we do a frustration of someone else. What was not in the news, but should have been in the news. Let's start with Yuri this time. What was not in the news, but should have been in the news? I totally forgot about that question. <laughs> Maritza. <laughs> So uh, what I've been missing in the news, let's say in the past month, is related to inequality and the impact that the pandemic has left behind. And basically what I'm missing is that all these frontline workers that were yeah, constantly uh, busy trying to help people, society, 
what has been done, there are several countries where they got wage increases, but in the less privileged countries, I'm wondering what is being done in the sense of all those mainly women that have been working on the front line with the health sector in order to improve their conditions. And this is just a small part of the great inequality that has mm -hmm. been left by the pandemic, but I don't see that anywhere. It seems that they were important, but now what is being done? Yeah, it's the same as the, like we did in the Netherlands that we applauded for, for the healthcare and then we went on with our lives, right? So it's about women doing all the work and then we expect them to do the rest also, right? It's yeah, and there I would like to see more, not in terms of probably bad news, but in terms of the good news and how we continue, let's say, to improve the conditions of, of those people that we were so proud of at the yeah. start of the pandemic. And what would be one of those ideas that we can solve? And maybe also as as triados, as an, as an um, asset manager, what, what can we do there? Well, I think Triolos is involved in the Living Wages Network. It's very active in trying to promote living wages across different industries. And I think in the health industry where the work balance should be, let's say, a high priority, I think this is an area where we could focus. We focus on different sectors, but I think this is an interesting area to explore. Yeah. Agree. Yuri, I completely understand that you forget what was not in the news because it was not in it the was news. It was not in the news. But to be honest, we also prepared it. So That's true. That's what, true. what was not in the news, what should be yeah. in the news? And it's even worse because I actually wrote a column about that's it. What I <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's why I thought it was in the news because I made but it. It made was it your column. Yeah, 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 it was yeah, in the yeah, news, yeah. right. No, but now I remember. And so it was also in my column and that's why I probably thought it was news. But... It was about fossil fuel projects. And what we know is that the International Energy Agency already last year, they stated that there's no room for any additional fossil fuel projects. And actually recent research has just shown that the fossil fuel companies are still starting up very large new oil projects, which goes totally against the goal to limit uh, global warming to 1.5 degrees. And in addition to that, it gets even worse. Even when fossil fuel companies try to uh, green their activities, they usually do that by not closing their fossil fuel projects, but by actually selling them to private equity firms. And the claim um, from private equity firms is that this is actually uh, supportive of the uh, transition, the energy transition, because they now can work in all peace and quiet to really green these fossil fuel companies. So yeah, uh, yeah I thought it was yeah. um, something that we should keep in mind that this is happening and uh, fossil fuel projects are getting delisted, but um, not closed. And this is very serious, I think, because we are, if, if we talk about carbon emissions and what investors do, we only look at the listed part and we talk about Shell and BP and Exxon and blame them. Mm -hmm. Because what, But what you say, we cannot blame them anymore because it's further up in the value chain or in the supply chain where the actual emissions are happening and they're still happening. True. That's exactly what's happening. So <sighs> it's a worrisome development. So next, hopefully next month, a little bit more positive news because this, <laughs> uh, this does not help. We thought it would be nice to talk about data of the month, something that will be published next month. I prepared it and it is about the 
World Happiness Report that will be published on the 18th of March. And in that happiness report, it already has some quite long history. They just ask people, how happy are you? And from a lot of research, uh, we know that is quite a good approximation for their subjective well-being, for how, uh, and economics in the end, it's what we talked about, interest rates, about economic growth, etc. But in, in the end, it's about well-being. And last year, the number one was Finland, and then Denmark, Switzerland, Iceland, Netherlands was fifth. And the bottom 10 was Afghanistan, Zimbabwe, Rwanda, Botswana, Lesotho, Malawi, so a lot of African countries. And my question for you is, because we're going to do a poll, a forecast, and we come back in it on the next podcast, which countries do you think have increased their happiness over last year? So we look back to last year. Or what will change in the top 10? I think the top 10 is for Yuri because they're all rich countries and Yuri is doing advanced economies. So, Yuri. Well, if I think of the news from the last few months and if I look at the way that a pandemic has been handled in the different advanced economies, uh, my prediction is that maybe Denmark will overtake Finland because um, there's been lots of news about Denmark and how successful their COVID policy has been. And I think if you look a bit uh, broader, then you can see that there has been a lot of social unrest because of the pandemic, but uh, also because of political developments. And we can really see that where trust has been very strong, there has also been uh, successful pandemic policies. Yeah. So, so in that sense, I think Denmark will be the number one. And maybe the Netherlands will um, drop a bit because you, you've seen here that there's been lots, lots of um, discussion about the COVID policies. So, yeah. Yeah. so your advice is um, to migrate to Denmark. Uh, but that's quite impossible because they're very strict on migration. But well, let's let's see. But your your prediction is uh, Denmark at one. So Maritza, what do you expect? What will be the least happy country, or or what will be the runner up or the runner down? Yeah, first maybe some background. I I agree with Yudi that uh, probably how uh, countries have managed their COVID policies will be determinant in where countries will be in this happiness index. And I think that countries that had weak institutions and uh, leaders that did not do well in communicating what was best for their populations, India is in this list. And I think India had many problems in one of the waves, but it finally got it under control. So I think that there will be probably, uh, we will see Brazil maybe not join the bottom 10, but I think Brazil managed quite in a disorderly way. So I expect Brazil to decline considerably in this index. But I, I think that Afghanistan and all the problems that it has, which are, go beyond the pandemic and beyond, let's say, uh, solutions that are there in the short term, I expect Afghanistan to remain in this position in the bottom 10 for quite some years because mm -hmm. their problems are completely structural and not to be solved in, in the short term. And I think what is important is to that we look at these countries that are in the bottom 10 and follow these countries closely because I think being in the top 10, it's quite sticky. It's it's an honor to be in the top 10, but I think it's where we should focus our concerns and perhaps our energy is in the bottom 10 and see how we can get that going. Yeah, I, I agree. The, the biggest gains in well-being can be made in, in, in the bottom, of course. 
And what I also learned from both of you, it's, it really relates also to how countries handled the pandemic, but also, like you said, in, in, in the bottom, it's also about poor institutions, war, etc., which uh, will not help. So let's come back to it uh, in our next podcast. And uh, so we have predictions and what will be the price? Well, we know that Maritza is already um, owing you a bottle of wine. So oh, maybe yeah. another bottle of wine. Another <laughs> bottle of wine. So next time we have wine on the table and uh, a better... But, uh, but Hans, uh, can you please, in order to make this uh, challenge more uh, transparent, please, could you also uh, give, give your... A, give my prediction. My prediction uh, will be... That as as you said, there are high correlations between in, in the ranking every year. I'm very I I don't know exactly where they are, but Venezuela. Uh, my bet is that they will go down. It's a safe bet, I think. Okay. Okay. So let's round it off this first podcast. Thank you for listening. If you like it, don't forget to tune in next time, and you can subscribe to our channel, Inside Impact Investing. And if you have any thoughts, please let us know. Thank you. <laughs>